Well, I give thanks this morning for you. It's, it, I feel like I lost a week somewhere. Anybody else feel like that? Or a month? I don't know. Some of you have been sick. You did lose a week. But uh, I feel like it's just, you know, we're maybe mid-October right now, and it's mid-November. What happened? Can anybody help me with that? Um, anyway, Thanksgiving is this week, and uh, it's on, people. And so I trust that you'll have a, a good week with friends, family. I know some of you have already had some Friendsgivings, and uh, so I know you're enjoying that, and uh, trust that this will be a great week for you. Uh, I know that it can be a hard week for some as we enter into holidays as well. So know that, you're, uh, that we, we love you, you're believed in, and uh, we're with you. And that's part of what we, what we do in the life of the church. And we'll be talking about it a little bit even more this morning as we think about what it means to live out being the people of God. We encourage and we lift each other up. So happy Thanksgiving. Um, and we're looking forward to a, a great season together in the life of our church. Uh, we are uh, coming to the end of our series on First Thessalonians. I know many of you have been in uh, growth groups throughout the fall. Again, these seem to have flown by. But we are uh, enjoying, hopefully, this little letter from Paul, one of his, uh, if not his earliest. Some uh, corrected me or came alongside me and said, it's possible that he had another Galatians. There's some discussion among scholars about what was Paul's earliest writing. But Thessalonians is thought to be at least one of, if not the earliest writing. But it's interesting to get at the heart of Paul and to get not only at the heart of his, his thinking about what he thinks about God and the church, but to get at his heart for people. And in our growth group this week, we talked about Pastor Paul. And uh, really in his writing, let's remember this, this Thessalonian church, this, this little group of believers that were, uh, were, were longing to learn and discover what it meant to live out the Christian life. And here was Paul writing, caring for them, compassionately wanting them to learn and to grow. And, and I hope we receive the words that we read in the same, in the same fashion. That here's, here's one who now over the centuries, these words from the Lord are penetrating our own hearts and helping us as we think about what it looks like for us in our own context to grow and to become and to discover all that God has for us. So let's read together today, or I will read for us from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and we're going to read the first 11 verses. Let's stand together, can we, as I read this, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 to 11, and uh, you'll recognize that this is really a continuation on from where he was, where he left off, or where we left off from the Apostle Paul last week. The, uh, the, the chapter and verse numbers are an addition since Paul wrote these words. You know that Paul didn't write chapter 1 and then chapter 2. He just wrote a letter. And, and we have come in since the gathering of these writings and imposed these numbers upon it to try to organize uh, his thinking a little bit. But many think that uh, these, this chapter kind of interrupted the flow of his thoughts. So we'll pick right up. Chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. At the end, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord, and you can say, thanks be to God. So now, concerning how and when all this will happen, and that's a clue to look back how what will happen. And you'll have to remember, those of you who were here last week, that he was talking about the hope of the resurrection 
and the second coming of Christ and how those who had died would be raised first and then those who were living would come along with them to meet the Lord in the air. So now concerning how and when all this will happen, dear brothers and sisters, we don't really need to write you. For you know quite well that the day of the Lord's return will come unexpectedly, like a thief in the night. When people are saying everything is peaceful and secure, then disaster will fall on them as suddenly as a pregnant woman's labor pains begin, and there will be no escape. And all the mothers said, Amen. But you aren't in the dark about these things, dear brothers and sisters. And you won't be surprised when the day of the Lord comes like a thief. For you are all children of the light and of the day. We don't belong to darkness and night. So be on your guard. Not asleep like the others. Stay alert and be clear-headed. Night is the time when people sleep and drinkers get drunk. But let us who live in the light be clear-headed protected by the armor of faith and love, and wearing as our helmet the confidence of our salvation. For God chose to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ, not to pour out his anger on us. Christ died for us so that whether we are dead or alive when he returns, we can live with him forever. So encourage each other and build each other up just as you are already doing. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can have a seat. Well, the story is told of the minister who was dreaming that he was preaching a sermon. And he woke up to find out that it was actually true. That he was preaching a sermon right there as he was asleep. Um, I guess the same could be said, just let that one sit with you for a minute. The same could be said for a, a congregation that dreamed they were listening to a sermon, and they awoke, and they actually were listening to a sermon. Let that one kind of ruminate over you for a minute, too. Wake up, wake up. Some of you, you're dreaming that you're listening to a sermon. You actually are listening to a sermon. Um... I've been, for a long time, I have actually sort of taken it as a compliment when people fall asleep in my sermons. (laughs) Some of you are actually, you're you're like sitting up a little straighter. Um, You know, I just kind of thought that, hey, if people, maybe they had a really hard week, and if people find my voice soothing and the cadence such that this is what does it for them to bring them to a place of genuine rest, recuperation, then so be it. Let, let, you know, let them sleep. This especially is a good message for me to give to myself when I'm teaching at the rescue mission sometimes. Those guys, they're, they're up early and Tom knows this. We, when we teach class down there, we you know, we, uh, we try to keep them awake so they won't get in trouble if some of the staff guys come in. But sometimes you just need to sleep. And, and I remember this before, believe it or not, I have listened to a lot of sermons as well as giving a lot of sermons. 
I've sat where you sit. And I know that sometimes it can be hard. And, and this is the worst. When you get a little bit sleepy and you try to start fighting that sleepiness, it's over, right? And, and, and to be honest, sometimes it's a little bit hard to concentrate up here when I'm preaching because I'm entertained by watching you try to keep your chin up. You know, or the, or the, the drooping eyelids. I mean, it's like, and, and I've done this one. I know you're not praying. You know, I know, I, know, I know that you're not just like, oh, Lord, I really like this message. It's so soothing. I know. I know the tricks. The uh, teenagers, I know when you go, you know, hands on the knees and head on the, on the uh, hands, that's trouble. That's trouble. It's over. Um, but I've been in your spot, and, and I know that it can be hard sometimes. So, so you know, I, I don't want to just say, like, relax and just go to sleep. But I understand. But I also understand that, that I mean, we're coming to God's Word, and, and this is, you know, independent of the presentation style. This is really important stuff. And so as much as I want to say, it's okay, you know, take a nap, I also want to say, this is really important. And so... I, I really try to work as hard as I can, short of doing handstands and other tricks, to keep us somewhat engaged. What's that? Hand, yeah. <laughs> if you start falling asleep, I might do one today. <laughs> but, but to uh, look at Greg getting comfortable, kicking back. But we need to, we need, last, well, I tell you, um, last night we were down at uh, Point Loma for my 25-year college reunion this weekend. And it was about 4 o'clock yesterday. And five years ago when we went to this reunion, uh, we stayed till the end. We went to the women's basketball game, the men's basketball game, and we left San Diego at about 10.30 p.m. And we drove home. And I was, I don't remember that drive. And it was really unsafe. And so yesterday, about 4.30 in the afternoon, there's kind of a little dead time. And the games didn't start until 6 and 8 p.m. And I just thought to myself, and then I told my family and the people with us, I said, we can be home by the time you know, those games are not even done. So we got on the road and we drove home. That was a good thing. I'm still sort of looking at you and seeing headlights, you know, um, but, uh, but it's, uh, it's I, I, I have devised over the years strategies for staying awake. You know what I'm saying? Do you have some different, whether you're studying or whether it's drinking coffee, Kyla taught me one about just pinching herself. Does anyone just pinch? Like cause yourself pain to keep yourself awake. This is, this is so, I'm, you know, I, yeah, I know, who knew? But trying all sorts of different, I want you to just turn to your neighbor and share with them your strategy for, this is one of my strategies for you staying awake, to turn to your neighbor and share with your neighbor your strategy, your most successful strategy for staying awake, all right? Both, and, and on two levels. Your, your best strategy for staying awake just in regular life, whether for school or work or driving, and your, strategy, your best strategy for staying awake during the sermon, all right? Go, go, go. Best strategy for staying awake in life. Best strategy for staying awake during the sermon.
All right. Hopefully some of you are learning some new strategies as well. And you've picked up a few or one or two that will help you even today, even this morning. This passage that we've read this morning is, it's about staying awake. I mean, we, we need to talk about staying awake because this text that we've read is about staying awake. And, and I, you know, it would be really bad to fall asleep during a sermon on a text about staying awake. So let's just stay awake because this sermon is about staying awake. <laughs> Did I mention that this, story is, this sermon is about staying awake? Uh, about being alert about being watchful, about being vigilant, about being on the edge of our seats, about being attentive and watchful for the coming of Christ. And not only for the coming of Christ, but for all that that means, really, and even more so for what that means for us and what it is that we're to be looking out for and staying awake for in the lives that, that, we, uh, that we lead. What an interesting passage of Scripture we have read here and uh, I, I love it. It's, um, Paul has dealt, as I mentioned back in chapter 4, with the certainty of Christ coming again. He's told everyone to encourage each other with these words. Jesus is coming again. The, the dead will be raised. Those who are living will, be jo- will, join them in the, will join them in the air to meet the Lord and be with him forever. He repeats that same promise in this passage, if you notice. This is a key theme for Paul. He, he wants to talk about this, this coming, the, the certainty of Christ's coming again, and yet he tempers his pronouncement, if you notice, a little bit in this particular passage that we read, by acknowledging that no one really knows exactly when or how any of this will happen. Very first words, I, I just want you to know, we don't really know. I, I know I just talked about this, but how this is going to happen or when this is going to happen, I don't know. And I love, actually, his writing style or his psychology that he uses in the writing when he says, brothers and sisters, I really don't need to write to you about this. As he's writing to them about this. Do you get that? I really don't need to write to you about the, you know, the time or how, but I'm writing to you about this right now, telling you that we don't know. We don't know how. We don't know when exactly this is all going to go down, but he knows human nature and that he knows, and he knows that to write about Christ's second coming is, is to generate and elicit uh, thoughts within human, or, or to create human thought about how and when this will all go down. It's like we're just curious. It's that, maybe that's, it's just human curiosity. And so Paul needs to follow up what he said about the certainty of Christ's coming again with this reality. I do, I just have to tell you, I get, I get a holy chuckle. Can we call it that? I, 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 I get a holy laughter. I don't know, maybe that's not quite, I, 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 I just kind of crack up when people um, tell me when they use this, this phrase. And if you said this phrase to me recently, then just know inside I was probably laughing at you. No, <laughs> I was up a little late last night. Might be a little loopy this morning. No, I was laughing with you. No, I was laughing at you. No, I, was, I wasn't laughing at all. But it's, it, it makes me chuggle when people say, Pastor, you know we're living in the last days. And I want to say, how did you know that? <laughs> how do you know? Or, 
Or, you know, it's obvious we're living in the end times. It's another one that people like to say. And I want to say, how do you know that? And I, on one hand, I think, well, uh, today is more of a last day than yesterday was a last day. And we're more towards the end today than we were yesterday. So I guess we're more last than we were, and we're more towards the end than we were. But are we really in the end end, or the last last? No one knows. Jesus said, no one knows the day nor the hour. This is, this is just Paul picking up on Jesus right here. And so um, just let's laugh together at that reality and say all the world events, all the things that are going on, and it's been going on like this for a long time, and we could probably say, yes, the day is drawing near. Er. <laughs> and, and we're getting closer to the day. But we don't know when that day will come. And so Paul wants to advise us and encourage us to live with a recognition of that day under the awareness and the beauty and the expectation of that day, but not not circling the wagons, not hunkering down like it's the cold winter and just kind of waiting for Jesus to come again like a spring morning. Keep on living, Paul wants to say. Keep on living in these days. Whether they're the last days or almost the last days or the end, what Paul does here is he affirms that amidst the uncertainty, there is a certainty. Christ is coming again. And uh, maybe when we talked about this last Sunday, that, that got you talking. I hope, you know, we talked about it a little bit on the car ride home in our family. What does that look like? What does that mean? I hope that... That conversation about Christ's second coming can be a, a, a matter of, of discussion among us. It's, it's not like, a, it, sometimes it feels like, you know, the, the doctrine that, that Christians either like parade, like here it is, or they sweep it under the rug and it's like, well, we, we don't know really what that's going to be about, but yeah, it's in the Bible, so. No, I mean, this is, this is Christian hope. And so we need to talk about it and, and believe in it and, and imagine about it because we can't know for sure what it will all be about and what it will look like. But it's a part of our story. It's a part of what we hope for. It's a part of what we long for. It's built into who we are as we come to faith in Jesus. So I hope it's a great matter of discussion for us. And, and Paul wants to talk about it here. And he says... Um, right off the bat, that it will come unexpectedly. And he uses that phrase, like a thief in the night. Did anybody like me grow up in the 70s and happen to see a movie called Thief in the Night that literally intended to scare the hell out of people who watched it? I mean, that was, it was like, I don't remember a whole lot of it other than it was just like, Jesus is coming and you better watch out. And you know, get, get yourself ready uh, because he's coming. And, and this whole idea of, of the thief in the night, even as I read it again uh, this week, I was just thinking about that image. 
And maybe when you hear that image, you know quite well, there it is, verse 2, that the day of the Lord's return will come unexpectedly like a thief in the night. And maybe even when you heard that, you're like, ooh, I don't want that. I don't want a thief in the night. And, and there's this kind of this negative image that starts to, to rise up. Or again, like I mentioned, uh, Paul says he'll come suddenly. Uh, Paul says Christ will come suddenly and unavoidably like the labor pains of a pregnant woman. This is, uh, this is I, I remember when Kyla was giving birth to our daughter, Katie. Wave, Katie. There you are. We're talking about you. Um, and, and the pregnancy... Uh, the birthing process had gone really, really fast, and then suddenly it, like, hit the brakes. And, like, Katie's like, I just think I'll stay in here a little bit longer. And, and so Kyla, her blood pressure started to shoot up, and the doctors started to kind of scurry around a little bit more. And, you know, they're readying the, the cesarean section room, and all this kind of stuff is going on. And uh, Kyla just says, you know, I, I, I just can't, I don't know if I can, I, I can't do it anymore. And, and, I mean, I looked at her, what do you say in that moment, <laughs> fellow, fellow dads? I mean, I looked at her and I was like, okay. <laughs> no, I didn't say that. I said, honey, I know you didn't play many sports, but you were a cheerleader. I know it was just what came to me. I hadn't practiced this in birthing classes, but it was what came to me. I said, honey, I know you didn't play with sports, but you were a cheerleader. It's the fourth quarter. In fact, let's just all hold up number four, fourth quarter. It's time to go. And uh, she kind of looked at me like, what are you talking about? And then about... 30 minutes later, this baby still hadn't come out, and Kyla said, what is it now? <laughs> overtime. That's what I said. I said. Honey, it's overtime. OT, baby. Let's go. Let's go. I mean, what are you going to say? I can't do it anymore. We, it, you can't stop. I mean, it's coming. Baby's coming. That's kind of what I thought. That's a crazy story that I thought of when I'm talking, hearing Paul talk about the coming of the Lord. It's unavoidable. Jesus is coming. It's unavoidable. You can't, you can't slow it down. There's, I mean, the Lord is patient. First Peter tells us the Lord is patient. He's not in a hurry. He wants as many as possible to come to know him. He's not rushing things, but he's got a timetable. And, and I don't know how God works in all that, if he's observing things, if he's got that all laid out. Um, but he's, it's, it's happening. This train has left the station, so to speak. And, and it's, it's, it's unavoidable. It's on a collision course with humanity in days to come. And for some, Paul wants to suggest, that is disastrous. That's the word he, that's the word he uses. And that's, that's a problem. But the emphasis in this passage, I want you to notice, while it seems, especially those first few sentences can sound very exclusive and, you know, like thief in the night, you better get ready, or this, this, this coming is inevitable and it's, it's unavoidable and you better watch out. You've got to remember who this is written to. This is written to believers. It's written to the Thessalonian believers. He's not trying to scare them. He's not trying to coerce them. 
He's not trying to manipulate them. That's not the message of the, of the, of the second coming. Please never, never threaten people. I mean, you, we, can, we can offer them the hope of the fullness of life, but, but let's don't threaten or coerce people with the fear of eternal damnation. I mean, that's just, just I, I mean, Jesus had, he, he wanted to speak reality into people's lives. I don't think we need to shelter or hide that message by any means, but, but Paul's message here is one of hope, one of possibility. Jesus is coming, and our our, our hope, our, our opportunity is to be right and to be ready when he comes. And I think that's a, a more powerful message. And, to, and really, as, as believers now, what he's saying to these Thessalonians is because he's coming, we, got, we, we get to live in a certain way. We get to respond to that reality and that hope in a certain, in a certain way. We get to respond with discipleship and and faithfulness and perseverance. We get to respond by, by getting on the edges of our seats and opening our eyes wide open and watching and looking and anticipating that second coming, but also anticipating all that Jesus will do right in our lives right now. What does it look like? What does Paul say it means to, to stay awake? He, he, he would definitely want to warn us about about falling and being sort of drawn into um, spiritual complacency, right? Deadlines are, deadlines are good. Deadlines are important. I have a deadline every Sunday morning, and, and uh, it, it feels like it keeps coming. You have deadlines at work. You have deadlines at school. Some of you give yourself, like, what do you call them, self-imposed deadlines? Those never seem to work as well for me as like real ones. But deadlines are good. They bring clarity. They bring focus a lot of times. They bring concentration. When we know this is the deadline, this is the time that it has to be ready, then it forces us to kind of bring everything into focus. And I think that's, that's what Paul wants to do here. Hey, there's, there's opportunities for complacency uh, all around you. As believers, Paul would want to say to these Thessalonians and to us today, there's opportunities just to, kind of, just to kind of fall asleep at the wheel of your Christian life if we're not careful. And so here's a deadline. Here's, here's an issue. Here's something that is happening to help draw some focus and some clarity and some, concentrations, some concentration into our, our lives. Um, he writes of those who will be saying when Christ returns, everything is peaceful and secure. A lot of scholars think that he's talking about this idea that was common in that day that was known as the Roman peace or the Pax Romana. And, and it, was, it was really this peace that wasn't peace. Because the Roman peace or the Pax Romana was... That Rome, this, the, the empire, the, the, the ruling government over the known world for the most part, ha- basically said if there's ever any violent uprising anywhere or any opportunity for revolution or, or war, we will squelch it out. We, were, we will squash it down. It will be over like that. And this created a sense of peace, I guess. It was... The absence of war or violent conflict, but everyone basically lived in fear of the, the empire of Rome. So everyone's saying it's, 
It's peaceful and secure. There's this sense of peace that isn't really peace, but they're holding on to it. And, and this is what they've been lulled into. And Paul says that Christ's coming will be disastrous. What's interesting is that we don't live in Pax Romana, in the Roman peace these days, but we live in a sort of cultural peace while there's still war and violence going on around the world. We live in this sort of cultural peace, especially it might, we might call it the curse of living in the first world where we have all the things that we need, where we have, you know, we have food, we have shelter, most of us of some kind. We have, we have a place to lay our head. We have school. We have jobs. We have so much. We have entertainment. In fact, we are entertained way more than we need. We are overly entertained. We are dulled by the entertainment and all the things that we have around us. It's like we've been drawn into this, this peace, this complacency that if we're not careful, can get us so off track from where God would have us to be. It can, it can put us asleep, put us to sleep at the wheel of our Christian life. Resist complacency, Paul would say. Wake up. And how do we do that? Well, we remember who we are. We remember that we're children of the day, that we are children of the light. Thomas, just stand up for a second. We were down at, uh, down at Point Loma, and I mean, sometimes it's even weird for me. All right, you can sit down now. Sometimes it's even kind of weird for me, and Thomas really can't walk up to me these days without going like this. Saw you just did that right then, even when he stood up, didn't you? And, of course, I can't respond to him in any other way than by doing this. I'm holding on. I'm holding on. I'm like, last knuckle, right? But I'm holding on to that, like, quarter inch right now. But um, remember, we got to remember... One of, the, one of the key ways that we stay awake in this culture of complacency or this, this complacent drift that so easily can grab hold of a Christian, a believer, is to remember who we are. We're children of the light. We're children of the light. And, and actually, the, the, the Greek here is not gender inclusive. It is sons of light. The NLT and other translations have made it gender inclusive, and that's good. But in Greek culture... In this day, to say you are a son of something meant that you, you carried on the legacy of that father, of that person. So to be a son of light or to be a son or a daughter of light meant that you drew in the light of God and you carried on that light into the world. We sang of it, our first song this morning. You are the light, the light of the world, and we shine you, Lord. We shine you, Lord. And so... So one of the ways that we, we resist complacency is that we, we draw near to the light of God and we allow the light of God to fill us and to fuel us in such ways that we begin to extend his light into the world. We live as children, not of the darkness where all of these things that Paul talked about can go on and do go on even in the world in which we live, but in, children of the day. 
Show them where, 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 where the light is shining bright, where there's truth, where there's honesty, where there's beauty, where there is visibility, there's, where there's the presence of God. We're children of the day. We are children of the light. We are children who are of, of God who are seeking to extend and expand that light into the world, to carry on what it is that he has initiated in the world, in mission and in discipleship. We live on the edges of our seats, not only looking forward to the day when Jesus will come, but looking forward to what it is that he's doing right here in our midst. Carry on that light. We resist the complacency as, as well just by, again, by by. By not kind of getting drawn in, I was thinking this morning even about, uh, you know, we're in this time of the season. It's fall, I guess, we call that here. But um, we're in this season where it's kind of cold in the mornings, kind of warmer in the afternoons. And it's really hard, if you haven't noticed, to, to set a, a thermostat in a church sanctuary. And, and honestly, last Sunday... It was cold in the morning, and so we turned the heater on, and by the time you all got in this room and made it about five degrees hotter, it was warm in this room. And if you don't think it was warm, then tell your eyelids, because you were sleeping last Sunday. <laughs> uh, and and when, when it gets warm, you sort of can get kind of, you know, in fact, David Letterman, this is often who I go to, some of you remember David Letterman. Uh, for those of you who don't remember David Letterman, cultural icon of the 20th and early 21st century. Anyway, late night talk show host. And the story goes that he was trying to determine the temperature to set his, his theater. The Ed Sullivan Theater, I think, was one where they met or where he, his show was uh, at the end. And uh, he, he set it at 75, one, one show they taped every day. And... Uh, that was okay, but it was kind of dull and a little lethargic in that room. So we set it at 65 for the next show. And that actually kind of got everybody a little bit more involved in the show. The next day, he decided to set it at 55 degrees. Cooled that room to 55 degrees. And his jokes, he said, popped. They, I mean, they were just going on. People were laughing. People were into, popped in a good way. They, they were just, it was, it, was, it was the most vibrant show that they had ever experienced. And so from that day on, his theater was set at 55 degrees. Some of you are like really worried right now. <laughs> Talar, can you turn that down a little bit? <laughs> oh. I love the battle over the thermostat. Um, it's not a battle. We, we're trying to figure it out. But, but this is, I, I love that because this is another image for us to, to be mindful of. As we think about complacency, as we think about the, the lull and the drain and the pull of the world, it can just sort of, it's like the frog in the kettle, right? It just kind of gets a little warmer, it's a little warmer, and then we're, we're getting boiled or we're falling asleep. And to be people who are on watch or to be people on the edge of our seats, we're keeping it cool, keeping it fresh, and we're looking and, and learning and discovering and remembering who we are. Not only are we remembering like, who we are in relationship to God, but we're also remembering what it is that God has provided for us. And, and, and here in Thessalonians, we hear maybe the, 
the beginning development of Paul, what he would write later to the Ephesians, the, the development of this language of the armor of God. Did you notice it there? I don't know if I have that verse up there or, or not, you guys. It's uh, there at the end, verse 7 and 6 through 8. So let, let's read this together. Can we? It's a few slides long, but let's read it together. So be on your guard, not asleep like the others. Stay alert and be clear-headed. Night is the time when people sleep and drinkers get drunk. But let us who live in the light be clear-headed, protected by the armor of faith and love, and wearing as our helmet the confidence of our salvation. Just leave that up there for a moment. Protected by the armor of faith and love, and wearing as our helmet the confidence of our salvation. It would be later in writing to the Ephesians that Paul would more fully develop this idea of the armor of God, drawing on Old Testament uh, references and allusions. But, but here he, he gives it to the Thessalonian believers. Remember not just who you are, but remember the resources that are available to you. Faith and, and love. Not just... Not just Things that you are generating within yourself. You're not just making yourself a more faithful person. You're not just creating, just stirring something up within your heart to become a more loving person. No, this is, these are resources that God has made available to you. Open yourself up to them. God, make me a more faithful person. God, give, create more love in my heart and in my life for those around me. And as the Lord begins to put those onto us. They become this armor that we're able to, to, to put on to, to not, not attack others with, but to, in a sense, protect ourselves. Here are these, these, these mercies, these, these images of grace, these gifts, really, that God is making possible for us. And then that whole idea, this image of wearing as our helmet the confidence, or other translations say the hope, of our salvation. And you just think about that, just girding yourself, just, just putting on this protective armor, this of faith and love around our body, around our heart, around our emotions, even. This amazing thought that 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 when when we when we feel certain ways, we can we can trust and believe that God is giving us more faith, that He's given us more love. And, and when we think certain ways, when we start to doubt our salvation or doubt what God has done for us in Jesus, Paul says, put on that helmet to protect your thinking, to protect that, that lack of confidence perhaps or, perhaps or that doubt that may be stirring in your own thinking. Put that helmet of of, of the confidence of your salvation, as you put it on, believe again and anew and afresh that God loves you and that he has provided for your salvation through Jesus Christ. He says that there in those verses. God, God he didn't make us to pour out his wrath upon us. He, he created us and he loves us so much that he sent Jesus to die for us. It says that for God chose to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ, verse 9, not to pour out his anger on us. Christ died for us so that whether we are dead or alive when he returns, we can live with him forever. Don't forget who we are. Don't forget what we have available to us. Grab onto it. Put it on. Faith and hope and love 
And as we do, we're living into all that God, we're looking forward to all that God would have for us. This last idea that is just is critical for us as we think about staying awake is what he says there in the, last, in the last verse. So encourage each other. I don't know if I had this one on there, verse 11. So encourage each other and build each other up just as you are already doing. I love this because Paul wants to tell him, you're already doing this. And anytime I try to encourage someone or us to do something, a lot of times I start it that same way. I know you're already doing this. Don't, I'm not telling that you're not, but I know you're already encouraging each other and building one another up, but, but just keep doing it and keep doing it and keep doing it. And, and anything really that you can add to your, uh, your, your collection of information or shared stories that you can use to encourage one another, then, then do it. Use it. The, the language he uses actually here in, in, in saying encourage one another and build each other up, it was a construction term. It was like the, the, the construction workers in the church at Thessalonica would have been like, ah, now you're speaking my language. Build each other up. And as those construction workers in our uh, church family are aware of, I'm not a great construction worker myself. And, uh, you know, most of the times, still, my kids are 14 and 16 years old. And when something goes wrong around the parsonage, their first words are? Call Rick. Yeah. Dad, you need to call Rick. Yeah, I probably do. Yeah, I probably do, guys. Um, but I love this term. My, my cousin, on the other hand, is a contractor. He builds custom homes in southern Idaho and is, like, pretty well-known. I mean, he has his homes in magazines and all these kinds of things. Kinsler Builders. I love that. And I just... You know, I'm hoping he'll listen to this maybe online and send me a hat. <laughs> Chip, are you hearing me? Send me a hat. Um, now, I love it because this, he's, he works so hard. I mean, usually when we go up to Idaho to visit or to go to our family cabin up there, we'll swing through Nampa and Boise where he works and builds. And, you know, he'll want to show us his model home for the, this year, his spec house that he has built. And, and it's, he's, he's an amazing contractor, a carpenter. He does all the finished work. And, and it's just it's really impressive. And I sit back and I say, you, you're just my little cousin that, you know, I won't say it because he might be listening to this. But uh, you're just my little cousin. Now, I mean, you're this amazing builder. I just, and, and when I read this passage again, I thought, well, I can never quite be like my cousin in terms of building houses, but I can be like my cousin in terms of building people, building up people. And, and you, whether you're a great carpenter, whether you know your way around a toolbox or not, you too can be a great builder. You are a, a construction worker in building up each other. Encourage one another with all this information. You're children of light. We're children of the day. We, we've been given these, this armor of faith and love and hope. We, we have a God who has sent his son Jesus 
to die for us, not to pour out his wrath upon us, but to save us from our sin. This, this God who encourages us and, and invites us to then live with him forever. Well, I was sitting around the, uh, the, the 25th reunion yesterday, and, um, you know, this is what we did for, for a couple hours. We just told, we told stories, and some of them were true. And uh, no, no, as far as we remember, they all were true. Uh, they may have gotten a little bit embellished over 25 years, but they were, they were good stories. And Friday night, I got together with some other friends and our family. We were down having a beach bonfire and just telling stories and, and remembering. And, and, and this is that, that's the image of what it looks like for us as the family of, of faith both now and forever, to get to, to get to share stories about when and how God was at work among us and the ways that he intervened and the ways that he acted and the ways that he led us and the ways that he proved again and again his faithfulness to us. And we, can te- we call them testimonies. And we, and we can testify and give thanks to God for who it is that he is and what it is that he has done. And we can encourage each other with these words. I said it last Sunday and I'll just say it again. We we need some encouragement. And, and one of the best ways that we can stay on the edges of our seats, one of the best ways that we can stay wide awake as we await the coming of Christ and as we watch for what he wants to do in our lives is to be people who are building into each other. And, you know, that can sound really sort of vague and just ambiguous as we talk about that. So really, uh, my, you know, I was, I was meeting with a guy in our church a few weeks ago, and he said, you know what, that, i got to be honest, the greeting time, that's like my nightmare. And some of you right now are like, mine too, you know, mine too. I, I, the greeting time just freaks me out. I'm an introvert. I really don't like talking to people, and, uh, and I'd rather you just skip that, if you could. You can just... I'll give you the peace of Christ, you can give it back to me, and we can just move forward. But, but we talked a little bit, and I said to this guy, I said, you know, there's other people in the room that feel exactly like you. That's the funny thing about it. And, and, and the, the, the more we just remain in our own sort of worlds and keep reinforcing the idea that we don't really like to interact, then we just kind of encourage that. Whereas if one will take the step out of the safety zone and into the life of another, then often that person, now maybe there's some people that aren't waiting for this, but often that person is just waiting for someone else to take that initiative in terms of encouragement, in terms of relationship, in terms of building into each other. And, and I said, so maybe there's someone who's waiting actually for you to take a step across the room. And he said, you know what? All right. That's my goal. Every greeting time, I'm going to look for the guy that looks like I feel. (laughs) 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 And I'm going to go say hey. And I'm not going to make it a long conversation, but I'm going to say hey. So if you get a strange, if you're feeling pretty awkward and someone else pretty awkward comes over and awkwardly greets you, then just awkwardly greet them back and send them on their way. It'll all be fine. No, look for your own opportunity, whether it's within a, a worship service or on the patio afterwards or in a 
phone call during the week or an email or a text message to someone that you may haven't seen for a couple of weeks or someone that you know is just going through a difficult time, a handwritten note, what does it look like for you to encourage somebody? Because I will just guarantee you, even if they look great on the outside, they're likely needing to be encouraged on the inside. And uh, as I point one finger at you, or maybe two, there's at least three coming back at me, right? And we want to be people of encouragement. And I just believe that there's a connection between being people of encouragement and people who are, who are awake. When we, when we start to like, you know, kind of get into our own world and we start to just kind of take care of our own needs and be self-protective, I think that's a, that's a little slippery slope or a stepping stone at least to a, to a life of growing complacency. But it's when we're pointing our eyes and our attention outward that we're awakening more and more to what Christ is doing and what he will do. I'm going to invite our worship team to come on up. Um, this is a great promise for us this morning and a great, I, I, actually I'm trying to use this word less and less because I'm afraid it scares people off, but this is a great challenge for us as well. I'm going to go ahead and use it. It's a great challenge for us. You may feel a little bit sleepy, not right now necessarily physically, but a little bit sleepy spiritually. Who, who may have been kind of easily drawn in or sucked into the, the culture of comfortability all around us or the culture of, of um, ease that we, many of us, are experiencing or have, have access to. And we may, need pe- we may need to be people this morning who are asking God to set his alarm clock in our own hearts and in our own lives, both, both for right now in this moment and on, a, on, a, on an hourly basis, on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, that we might be people who are very attentive, again, to this situation right now as we live in the light of Christ's coming again. Isn't this band awesome? Let's stand together. I know you're like looking at them. You're like, I can't wait to sing with them. Let's stand together and lift our voices in worship. And then I'll come and pray for us. But there might be some of you who just need to come and maybe even kneel right here. We take advantage of these altars right here and just say, you know, I've been a little bit spiritually sleepy. I, I can feel a little bit of complacency maybe kind of sneaking up in my heart, in my life. I want to be a person who is on the edge of my seat, Jesus. I want to be a person who has my eyes wide open, wide awake to all that you are doing, all that you've done, all that you'll do. It might be a good time to pray right here or just where you are, but as we worship, let's just offer ourselves to God. Okay, bless you.